Hey everyone, I'm Alan Schimmel and welcome to another episode of DevOps Unbound. DevOps Unbound is a series sponsored by our friends at Tricentis that explores different topics around DevOps every other week, as well as having a monthly roundtable open to the public. Today's episode is outsourcing DevOps, oxymoron or truth. I'm joined as usual by my co-host, Mitchell Ashley, CEO, founder of Accelerated Strategies. And Mitchell, welcome, thanks for coming on. It's always awesome to be here. I'm excited about our guest today. And so am I. Let me introduce you to our guest. Uh, we have Robina, and Robina, I'm gonna ask you to give your full name, title, company, background, and we're gonna ask you to kick it off. Sure, hi, I'm happy to be here, thank you. My name's Robina Laughlin, I work for Guardian Life Insurance, actually Guardian Life, um, and I have been working in the quality assurance space now for about 25 years, I've been working for Guardian for eight years. We have a great enterprise quality assurance journey. Um, most recently, my, my department, my quality assurance department's been working with um, integration into a DevOps model. Um, so we're starting that journey. We started about a year ago and uh, really happy to be part of the conversation. Thank you and thanks for joining us, Robina. Secondly, I'm gonna introduce my friend Ming Gong. Ming, a little background. Hey, Alan, how are you? Um, it's just good, always good to be here. Um, my name is Ming Gong, and I work for UST Global. I'm vice president. Um, I run a practice called Digital Agility P uh, Platform and Solutions. So what we do is we provide all kinds of services and, uh, and, and even product uh, to our enterprise customers on um, things like such as DevOps transformation, DevSecOps, uh, digital the uh, cloud transformation, as well as uh, legacy modernization. So we have uh, tons of battle scars uh, as we're implementing DevOps for our customers. Absolutely. And then last but certainly not least, Chris. Hi, nice to meet you, everyone. So my name's Chris Rolls. I'm from a company called TTC. I'm the CEO of Americas. And what we do is we help organizations with quality engineering, continuous testing, and also agile and DevOps transformation. So really happy to be here and excited to hear what everyone else has to say. Absolutely. So, so guys, when I started, so we launched DevOps.com in March 2014. Uh, working on it, you know, all through the second half of 2013. At that time, it was sort of dogma in DevOps that DevOps wasn't about the tools. DevOps was about people. DevOps was about culture. And that therefore, to be successful in your DevOps journey, outsourcing was a no-no. You couldn't be successful and outsource your DevOps because it would it would destroy, you, you never got to the, the nitty gritty of the culture. Now, that was seven, eight years ago. A lot has changed. I think we've seen some very successful consult. I mean, the, the world is full of DevOps consultants, large, small, and in between, who you know are helping organizations on, along their DevOps journey. Um, so I don't, I think we have kind of moved beyond the dogma, but if we move to truth, right, can you successfully outsource DevOps? And if you can, what are the keys to doing it successfully? And I'm going to throw that out to my panel, to our panel today, and we're going to start that as our discussion. Ming, not to pick on you, but you, you already mentioned you have a lot of scars to prove it. 
Absolutely. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your journey or, or UST's journey in this space. Yeah, so um, I, I think you mentioned a couple of things that's really important, which is um, ultimately, I think, you know, to do DevOps correctly, um, the whole entire team, entire delivery team needs to live and breathe the DevOps, uh, not only the, you know, the automation, the tool set, but also the processes and as well as the internal, how you do things or the whole mindset thing. So that's the absolutely ultimate goal. Um, I think even over the past few years, even though the, all the companies all moving towards DevOps, but they are still uh, having a lot of challenges in terms of how to take some isolated success in certain areas, trying to cascade that throughout the entire uh, organization. And I think this is where we talk, when we talk about, hey, is outsourcing a myth or, or a reality? Uh, I would say it's actually somewhere in between because it really depends on where the uh, continuum, when I think about DevOps and think about DevOps continuum uh, into maturity, where they are, right? For the company who's really mature, they're less likely to uh, benefit from outsourcing. But for the folks who's uh, just starting the journey or middle of the journey, they definitely can use some help. And not only outsourcing in general, but also what part of DevOps to outsource as well. So there's Typically, you know, when we work with the enterprise customers, they have a centralized organization, like, you know, some kind of DevOps COE, right? But they also have each individual team that needs to be enabled. So where we found there's tend, tends to be more success is when we help the kind of the COE to kind of, um, kind of you know, take, take their, infuse them with uh, the DevOps expertise and help them kind of build up the practice around uh, DevOps. So uh, I definitely think it's uh, somewhere in between. Fair. Chris, your organization is, is you know, similar to Ming's in that you are helping organizations with their transformation. Has your experience been similar, different? Yeah, I think I'm not going to shock the world by being a consultancy who says consultants can help with DevOps transformation, right? <laughs> um, I'd be out of business if I, if I thought that was the case. <laughs> Um, but if I was to answer your direct question, can you outsource DevOps? I would say no, because DevOps is about a cultural change within the organization as well as the technical practices. Now, similar to what Ming is saying, it's sort of in the middle because outsourcing and consultancies and other vendors can be a part of the solution. Um, they can make some things more challenging in certain ways because you are introducing certain barriers, uh, certain um, contractual sort of challenges around it, um, but it definitely can be part of it and it definitely can help, particularly when organizations are trying to figure out how to do things better. Yeah. Fair. So, Robina, you you look at this from 180 degrees different than Ming and, and Chris do, right? You're not, you're not providing consulting to organizations. You are the organization. What's your, yeah, what, What's your view on this? Um, yeah, so it's, uh, thanks for having me. This is a really interesting conversation. Um, some of my thoughts around this is, um, so we, I think, the, I think the important thing to understand is what's your driver to DevOps? Why are you moving to that model? Why is that model gonna be important to you as an organization or as an enterprise? And when you start to answer that question, um, you, you get to different models um, for us. 
we adopted SAFE. Um, we started that journey two or three years ago, right? So um, DevOps was not the first thing we tried to conquer out of that, that transformation. It's on the tail end of it, and um, it was always on the strategic roadmap. However, what we found is that it grew organically based on the improvements from adoption of SAFE and Agile, right? So for the teams to get to the velocity that they wanted to do, it became a necessity as opposed to an aspirational goal, right? Um, so for us, when it became that, that, that driver to success, it took on a whole different model. Um, and then when we started figuring out how do we want to do this with our partners, right, the vendors that we work with, one of the things that we always hold true to in Guardian is that, um, you know, frameworks, guardrails, models are, are Guardian culture, and we develop those. Um, we develop them in conjunction with our partners. We'll seek for collaboration. We'll seek for guidance, but the model has to come back to fit our, our culture, right, and how our folks work. And then once we have the guardrails in place and the operating model, um, inclusion of an outsourcing model is, is very successful, I find. Um, but I speak from a QA perspective, and I've been out on an outsourcing model now for 15 years, right? So I always kind of take the same approach to things in that if you have the operating model, the guardrails, and people know what they need and why they're doing it, then um, outsourcing is a good solution. But you have to have a strong backbone for the company that you're working for and with um, to be able to represent that model in the culture. Mitch, you, oh, me? Go ahead, whoever, Chris. Oh, so I think just to, to drill into that as well. So Rabina mentioned you've got to understand your drivers with, with DevOps. What are you actually trying to achieve? I think that a lot of times organizations, they want to do DevOps because that's what the, the conferences and the experts say they should do. Um, but also you need to understand what's your driver for outsourcing or engaging partners and other vendors, right? Mm -hmm. So if it's a if it's a cost saving mechanism, which often it is in this economic climate is something that people are looking at, right? That that can be one component. That can be one reason for outsourcing. You could also be outsourcing to get additional expertise that you don't have internally. You you could um, be outsourcing because you're scaling up with a whole another set of products and there's sort of HR reasons for wanting to do that. Um, but you need to understand those drivers. And I think another thing that Rabina said crucially, which I see that organizations get wrong, is the organization who's, who's um, the business, the end client for us, needs to own the cultural change and needs to own the methodology. I come back to, no, you cannot outsource DevOps. You can't buy that on a, on a platter, right? You have to invest, you have to make the changes yourself as well. Yeah, there's some parallels to that conversation, right? Because a long time ago, this was the conversation for quality assurance, like outsource it, there's an easy button, all your problems will be solved. Um, mm -hmm. I think that from the experience of that, for me, you know, there was never an easy button. It was a lot of work um, and it was a big partnership. But what we did was through that partnership, we started bringing in technology that um, my, my team hadn't had a lot of exposure to. So our options grew and I found that um, there were some easy buttons along the way to build, to run tests against that build, right? So we're moving into a model now where the assets of quality assurance can be augmenting what is your DevOps model. Um, and that model has to work for your company, right? And it has to be part of your culture. It is not something that can just kind of develop out of a box. We probably need some precision around the term outsourcing too. So <laughs> I think in idea. this context, <laughs> we're not talking about externalizing it. In other words, put it in a box, ship it somewhere, have someone else do it, give it to us when it's done, right? Because we're transforming the organization. Um, 
I think it can happen a couple of ways. It can be it happen early in the journey. I think it also can happen. Organizations typically get stuck at some point where we've gotten two, three teams there, but man, scaling it to a 5,000 or 10,000 person IT organization, that's hard. It's easy to do it on a startup basis. So you, everything to me is always driven about by what the company is about, what its DNA is like. Some mm-hmm. companies are very data-driven. We don't make a decision unless it's got, you know, a graph attached to it or a financial analysis attached to it or tied to a strategy or whatever it is. You know, different companies often taken taken on the personality of the founders if it's, you know, a younger company, but, it, you know, gets established with it. And if you don't have that figured out and aligned with how you're implementing anything, agile, DevOps, whatever, safe, whatever it might be, you either go against the flow and mm-hmm. fight it all the way and fail mm-hmm. <laughs> multiple times and never succeed, or you figure out what fits into the flow and the momentum, the DNA of the organization. That takes knowing people, takes knowing the organization, it takes commitment by people mm-hmm. in the company to do it. So it, it's not an outsourced give away the problem. It's a, I need help because I need expertise because I'm stuck because there's other things. There's things we don't know what we don't know. And we're looking to get smart from other people. And we want you to leave someday and help us (laughs) operate on our own. Maybe help us with a different problem someday, (laughs) but that's kind of our goal as an organization. Yeah. Mitchell, uh, I I fully agree with that. And um, we, we certainly have, a couple of things, points you point out is pretty interesting. One is the, the challenge that we're seeing uh, for large enterprise customers, they usually have problem with cascading um, kind of DevOps excellence across the organization, right? But there's mm-hmm. so many um, hurdles, I would say. Uh, one of them is um, organization silos. Um, we have seen so many times where you have one division, usually on the digital side, right, uh, front end. Um, they have great success because their technology stacks tend to be more modern, so it's easier to get on the DevOps train. Uh, but then once you start trying to cascade to the legacy side, it just doesn't work um, because either uh, either because they don't share very well because there's organization silos or because the technology stack they develop doesn't really work on the other side. So where, where we uh, see, again, I know your, your term about outsourcing uh, can mean many different things, but where we see uh, a lot of um, support or at least uh, success is when we help um, these kind of organization where they have a COE, right? Where they establish standards. And, um, and I think Robina kind of mentioned this too. It's very important for a company to really establish their true north, the, the compass, right? In terms of the, the guardrails and things like that. Um, but it's also very important to not have a very heavy central organization either to try to drive DevOps because then you, you're missing out on all the distributed innovation happening on the ground level. Um, so you can never... Um, respond fast enough. So this, this is why we, when we create our kind of a, a model, we usually have a, a team or a very small team help with the COE side of it to help them kind of develop their whole community, right? The culture, things like that. And, but then we have very nimble kind of, kind of we call it depot. Um, it's like a five member crew, right? They have a consists of DevOps architect and a couple of engineers. And what they do is they will be kind of parachuted into an area within the enterprise where they need a lot of help or the uh, application that they're using is very critical to the business. We'll drop in there, um, not only helping with engineering, figure out the tech stacks and figure out the DevOps um, 
and all the different nuances of it. But we also do a lot of coaching to make sure we can train the team to become self-reliant. That once they are, we lift the team up, then we drop into the next, uh, the deeper into the next area where they need help. So this is kind of the uh, hybrid model is where we find uh, more success. I'm really curious who who typically brings in brings in like your firm, meaning your firm, Chris, maybe Rovina, who brought in someone to, to bring in help with DevOps. Is that at a very high level? Is it a development team level? You know, I mean, I'm thinking larger organizations here. Yeah, I think Chris and I probably share this. I think Chris and I probably share the same uh, answer, which is uh, all, all, all of the above. <laughs> I mean, we have, we have a large uh, DevOps engagement where the CIO invites in and uh, we operate starting from strategy level all the way down to the individual team level. But then we also have um, through relationships or whatever case might be where we you know, insert ourselves into a, a particular team to help them then, then grow from there. Right. Yeah. Chris? Yeah. yeah, exactly the same. And, if, if it's okay, I want to go back to one thing you guys said before, which is having a bit of precision around what we mean by outsourcing. Because I think when, if, when I see this topic, I jump to full functional outsourcing of QA or dev or ops, right? But the reality is outsourcing also exists on a spectrum. You know, when you hire a maid to clean your house or to service your car or anything like that, you are outsourcing that function of your personal life. And it's the same with software development, right? So there's the, the really far down this end where it's just you have a consultant who's embedded in a project team. And then there's all the way down to the far end where you do that full scale outsourcing of a function or a, or a department. And uh, what I want to be clear on is the further you get along that continuum, the harder it is, right? You have to be far more careful about it um, and so that's something that's really important. And to go back to the, the question that was just asked, I, you know, completely the same. Sometimes, and you're very happy when the CIO or the CEO says, come in and help me do this transformation across the organization. Sometimes it is a QA or dev manager has a specific problem that they want to solve. But I'd also be really interested to hear Rabina's thoughts. Yeah. So how did we bring, I'm sorry, can we, can and we, what, what level did you bring? Was it a, the CIO brought in somebody to help you? Oh, with sure. Or was it on a QA development team? How, how did you start down the getting external help, outsourcing help? Yeah. So this is a little bit of a parallel run to a DevOps model. So from a QA perspective, um, what we did was we decided to centralize our enterprise quality assurance organization. And when we did that, um, certainly we got economies of scale, but I needed a partner or a vendor that would come and work with me. Um, and when I say partner, I truly mean it. Like we have team meetings and they, they're all folks that work for me. I don't distinguish. So you have to be able to have that, that relationship, I think, to be able to get success out of outsourcing, if you want to call it that, um, because it's really partnershiping um, in my mind. So that was the journey that we took. And now um, we, that's been underway now for almost eight years. So we have an incredible wealth of assets behind us. Um, and I started stopping and looking at what my partners were doing on the other side of building and deploying and how are they verifying that build. And we've been moving this shift left journey of discovery of quality issues for a long, long time now. And we're at the point where we're in the build stage. And I'm like, well, we have great assets that could help verify that a build's gonna work. You know, what, what's the next solution to that? 
So I reached out to my Cognizant folks under my, my QA umbrella and said, hey, if we were to think about, you know, extending our assets use, what would we do? And they were like, well, turn to your DevOps team, turn to your, your build and deployment team. Let's understand what they're doing. Um, they're using Jenkins, they're using Bitbucket example for us. So when we started looking at being able to scale our assets and use them across the enterprise, we built them in Jenkins. We built the, our, our, our actual Selenium code in Bitbucket. So now we have the hooks there and we can, you know, as these teams start to catch up or we start to catch up and we meet in the middle, we then have a problem we're trying to solve. We are getting builds, they are broken or they, when they pass, there's quality issues. Can we discover them through automation, right? So that's that easy button. And in this case, I actually do have the easy button, right? I have this regression suite. I can slim it down to a smoke test or something and say, if we can deploy this and do all of this, then yes, we can get those results. And then the next phase of it is accountability of teams of what they're going to do with those results. So none of that is technical. That's all cultural, right? Except for the hooks in what we built. So that, that, that's kind of been our journey and that's where I'm looking to go strategically. Excellent. So guys, I, I, I want to um, bring us down a, or read, we, we touched on it already, but I want to clarify it. You know, Ming and Chris, you're in a, a unique position in that you guys get to see dozens of organizations and how they approach this problem. Where Robina, your your view is is Guardian based, right? This is what you guys have done at Guardian. Here at DevOps.com, I'm I'm also in I'm in a cat's bird seat in that I get to speak to many people like Ming and Chris, but I also get to speak to many people like Robina. I get to speak to people like Mitchell. I, I literally get hundreds of views on this. And you know, I recognize patterns, and that's, you know, what do I do? What's my superpower, superhero power? I'm good at recognizing patterns. I guess I'm a machine learner. But, um, but anyway, uh, you know, th there, there usually is a pattern along DevOps adoption, and it's, and it's similar to what Robina mentioned, which is, you know, when I first launched DevOps.com, our tagline was, DevOps picks up where Agile leaves off. Right. And, and be, yeah, because what happened was people were moving to agile, you know, development processes, probably, you know, going on 20 years now. Right. Agile has been around 20 years and and it was great from the develop. It makes you feel old. I'm sorry, Robina, but yeah, it's 20 years. Um, don't feel bad. I, you know, I watched this halt and catch fire about the birth of the PC industry. Yes, that's what it is. You're in, yeah, Einstein's theory of relativity. <laughs> I remember my agile training with Ken. I can't imagine 20 years. Yeah, yeah Ken, who's now, of course, is uh, is uh, scrum.org, right? And versus scrum, uh, the other one. Anyway, not here to get into that one. That's another rat's nest. <laughs> Give a podcast. But, yeah, but, you know, so, but the thing is, the, 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 the normal course, if you will, is, yeah, we do some agile, you know, whether it's scrum or safe or whatever, you know, we, we're seeing out there scale. And then, you know, we want to start getting into some lean IT stuff. And, and of course, when you start marrying agile and lean, you start, it's DevOps, right? That's what kind of what DevOps is, right? And and now we're going to get into CICD pipelines and, and you know, and of course, it's grown since then. We've added SRE on. Continuous testing has become huge, 
right? Just a huge piece of this. And, you know, so we, we've seen the, the, the sprawl, the urban sprawl of DevOps and Agile over the last 20 years. Along with it, I think it's become all but impossible to do at a large organizational scale, at a large enterprise scale, without some outside help. I think, you know, we, we've created, we, we've recognized the enemy, it's us. We, we've created the need in our large organizations, the way we go about adopting these things, that we can't do it without outside help. It's very true, Alan, and um, you know, I think I think that's why you really need the outside help, and you need to go to the experts because no one size fits all, no one tool solves everything. Um, yeah. That's how I got involved with Tricentist. Was, you know, I went out really early looking for a vendor that would grow with me and was on the same aspirational journey that I was. Right, so that's where you, I think, it really helps in terms of consulting. You you need to pick the partner that's going to work with you and grow with you. Um, and, and sees you for your uniqueness, not um, an industry standard. That's right. Fair. Chris, Bing? I, th I think, you know, it, you, can't, you can't take a, a single pattern of, of technical practices or cultural adoption and apply it to every single organization. So that point, Rabina, about um, making sure that you tailor it for the organizations that you're working with, or even within an organization, the different part departments of different products that you're working with, right? There's a, there's a different sort of cultural mode within the, you know, digital section versus the enterprise technology section, right? So that's really important. And I think that also kind of comes to the thing that I see that often people get wrong when they do outsourcing is that they don't align the incentives properly. Because to, be, to face it, we all have different incentives, right? Even, Rabina, if I was partnering with you and we want to work as really good partners, then I have a slightly different set of incentives, right, to grow my company um, as Guardian does, right? And so we have to find ways to align those incentives. Otherwise, you'll create a conflict, a cultural conflict, which prevents you from really going as fast as you can. Um, so that's just something that I see often people get wrong about moving to DevOps because they have to use outsourcing in particular, engaging firms to help them with that. I want to I want to go back to the, the point Alan was talking about in terms of the massive talent shortage in an industry. And it's not just DevOps, it's cloud, everything else, right? I mean, just in general, I think we all... Um, wish there's more <laughs> qualified folks who has those technical skills. And I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of our customers uh, want us to want some help from us because they simply cannot find enough uh, talent out there that knows, not only knows the te uh, DevOps technology, but also have the ability to keep up with the crazy change in the industry, right? I mean, you see a massive change even within the last couple of years where used to be all just, you know, all the siloed best, best of breed uh, product like Jenkins or whatever else, then Artifactory, whatever. But now you see a trend where industry is moving towards more of a kind of end-to-end, -end, all-in-one type of tools, right? For example, you have the Azure DevOps, you have the, um, you know, GitLab, the whole, they start offering the whole suite of things because they recognize the massive talent shortage. You can um, take care of the problem until you can also solve the problem on the technology side as well. So that's kind of an approach that we're taking as well, where not only we have on people's side, we have the RD parts kind of coaching the team so we can get, you know, lots and lots of teams to train up to be self-reliant. But on the other side, we also develop our own platform to kind of try to 
uh, abstract all of the complexity of DevOps uh, from the user. So the user doesn't have to be an expert. Uh, so we call it democratizing DevOps for everyone, right? So mm-hmm. I think for a company to be successful, you need to kind of take approach of kind of both people and the tools um, combination. Absolutely. Just, uh, just yeah. I want to kind of share a, just share a personal story in my initial adoption of DevOps when I was a CIO at a company. Um, and it was initiated by me because actually Alan had reached out to me and said, hey, Mitchell, there's this thing called DevOps. You got to go read about it. Go <laughs> I'm like, okay, what is it? I go, I go figure it out. I, I got hooked onto it. Um, but the rest of the team hadn't really caught, you know, caught the caught fire yet of, of, of getting on to, to DevOps. And so as a leader of an organization, it, it's tough to say, okay, I want us to go this direction. I think this is really be helpful for us when the team's not there yet. Right. And, and really understanding what it's going to take to get the organization going and get get behind it and how to be successful at it. This is earlier, so you reach out more to individuals, right, that have started to build some brand and some experience in doing things like DevOps. Today, you know, I would go to a different kind of a team to say, here's where we are. Here's the projects that we have going on. Here's, the, here's how we're, kind of what we're being asked to do, right? I think mm-hmm. every Maybe not true, but it seems like most IT organizations are always being asked to transform some way, somehow. Yep. <laughs> um, and sometimes, you know, pretty radically. And if you can sort of set where we're headed and tie it to the why, as you talked about, Rabina, the why of for the business, though, not for IT, that seemed to me to be the biggest thing that everybody could rally around. Not that it was DevOps or Agile or it was this. It was, we want to go after this market. And our ability to get there is really constrained today. And here's, let's figure out some ways we can go after that. And that tended to, to rally around. So I think today, my, I guess my point is, today we're at a point where we can hire more expertise and we, we want to de-risk our journey and learn from others. We don't have to figure it all out ourselves and be the smartest person in the room. Certainly I don't. And uh, that's, that's a great environment to be able to bring in help. Mm-hmm. Robina, I'd like to throw out, you know, there was a time where we used to look at quote unquote outsourcing and consultants. And, and one of the terms that was thrown around was body shop, right? I bring in some bodies. I'm going to rent some bodies. I remember when Mitchell and I were at Still Secure, we'd, we'd go down to like federal government. We had a big federal practice. And we'd go to a federal uh, facility, whether it's a lab or a knock or, or what have you. 80% of the people there were not federal employees. You know, they worked for Grumman, Northrop, or, or SAIC, or, you know, take your pick of the Beltway Bandits, right? But it was all body shop, right? They, and, and when you'd speak to the salespeople at these consultants, you'd say, how's business? I got 50 people placed, right? Not what, 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 the, what the mission was, what the tools were. What they, they, they judge their success by how many people they had placed. I like to think, and maybe I'm naive, Robina, I'm going to ask you, that we don't judge the success of our DevOps outsourcing by how many bodies I've got buried at a given location. And because and, I think that's a terrible metric to determine the success of a transformation. 
Yeah, so that, that's a great observation, Alan. Um, you just kind of gave me shivers when you talked about, you know, number of bodies. Um, <laughs> I remember those days, and they're, they're painful to look back on, honestly. Um, there was a time where you needed an army of folks to do things, um, and I don't, I don't necessarily think that's the case now. Um, for me, our journey was I needed a partner, right, um, and I needed someone that was going to come here and work with me. And through that partnership, I also needed to know that um, I was going to have a 24-7 shop, and that's going to ne necessitate overlap on both sides, right? Your onshore and your offshore. So I don't think you can ever just kind of set it, forget it, and throw it away to an offshore team. That, that That's just not how it works. And um, I think the other piece of it is um, it, at the very source of it, you have to remember that these are human beings. They have families. They have lives. They want to do good work just as much as we want to do good work. Um, and the way that they're going to feel that contribution is being part of the team. And the way they're going to feel that sense of that is by being present. And we actually flip the dynamics. Um, so we're no longer a headcount shop. We're an outcome shop, right? Mm -hmm. So I measure the success of my organization by the outcome of our testing. Um, and for me, with my partner, if they do it with two people or 200, that's their discretion. So I don't have to get into any more of these conversations of we need two more bodies here, we need eight more bodies there, I'm anticipating 12 bodies. Um, that just turns into, a, I think, an empty uh, use of really valuable strategic time that you have with your partner, and you should, you should be using it a little bit more... Um, productively, right? Um, so that, that's how I flip that dynamic. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I'd be very curious to see how Mitch and Ming feel about it. And Chris. Yeah, well, my first reaction was I thought I, you were going to talk about Sopranos or something. Like that. A whole different kind of thought. <laughs> Bada bing. <Yeah. laughs> you know, I, I, I really like how Rabina described it because it, it, is a, it isn't about budget size and all of those kind of backwards metrics. And I'm, I'm sure they're still used today. Uh, to me, that's a measure of how aligned you are with the business. If you've shed the, the financial size, the IT only centric metrics to what are we, what are we making an impact? You know, we, there are a lot of ways we can do a digital transformation project. We could get to contactless services, let's say something very relevant today. And it doesn't have to be with hiring 50 more people because we're probably never going to find 50 people to hire anyway, right? So we've got to find other ways to do it. Um, so, but, but, you know, there, there's also, there are times where I need these people to fill these roles. And I'm sure, you know, the, the body shop approach still applies in some situations. I doubt it on strategic projects, so that would yeah. be my supposition. Chris and Ming, I'd like to hear from you guys on it, though, because you're, you know, you're on the other side of the equation here. Chris? I hate the term body shopping, right? <laughs> yes. Terrible, terrible term. And like I talk to the team and I say, we have to have like uh, stamped on our forehead, we are not a body shop. Because if you're going in there and your goal is a, you know, account manager is to get 50 people on an engagement, you're not thinking about what that organization needs. You're not thinking about what the business outcomes are. You're just thinking I can make 10, 15, whatever, how many dollars it is off each person and what's my commission for that. That's a terrible way to think about it. And what's more, it shows an outdated way of thinking about the people who are going to do this work. You know, People process technology, people in my mind being the most important part. If you're thinking of them and you're calling them 
resources, which sometimes we all slip into, or you're think calling them bodies, right? Look, it's not just a warm body in a seat typing some code or testing some software or monitoring the systems, right? There are people who have skills, who are thinking about things, who are trying to do the best work they can to deliver outcomes for the company. And so I hate that term body shop. Um, I hope that no one associates that with, with me and my company. Um, and I think it's a terrible way to think about, you know, delivering software. Yeah, so I definitely second that. Um, I mean, Ravina, Ravina just articulated is pretty much what um, echoes pretty much all of our enterprise customers has said. Um, they should absolutely transition from, you know, where it's just TNM type of model before now to it's all about outcome based. And that's what we prefer as well to Ravina's point. Um, why the customer should care how we deliver it as long as the outcome is what they want, right? Um, we actually created a um, digital agility transformation manifesto <laughs> uh, in honor of an agile manifesto. And one of the top one is actually called value over volume, which is exactly what, Alan, you just talked about in terms of, hey, yep. you should not be measuring successful transformation by the volume of things got done, but it's more about the value, right? So in this case, instead of measuring, hey, how many, um, you know, DevOps, like for example, how many DevOps pipeline did we create? That's not important. What's important is how much faster are we able to help the team to develop, uh, the, um, deliver software to the production faster, right? What's the frequency increase, right? So it's those things are what matters. Um, so that's what we absolutely focus on. Excellent. Guys, we, we, we've got maybe seven or eight minutes, and it, there's one area we haven't hit on yet that we'd be kind of negligent if we didn't hit on it. And that is... What effect has COVID had on all of this, right? At, on one level, we could say, well, look, everyone's working remotely every, anyway. What difference does it make it, you know, if they're an employee or an outsourcer? We're all remote. We're all equal in that regard. The other way is, how do I graft these people into our culture? How do we make them part of the team when we've never shook, shook hands in person? When, when the only way I ever see you is on a Brady Bunch Zoom window here, and you oper you take the top left, right? Um, can I really? Can we really integrate in just remote only settings? And it, you know, Ming, Chris, you guys deal with it. You're dealing with it over and over again, Robina. You are too, right? Everyone's remote. How how has COVID helped, hurt, hindered, accelerated? How's it affected this? So I think one thing is that, you know, if we, if we ask people five years ago, how do you do agile? How do you DevOps? You'd say everyone has to be in the same room. They have to be co-located. You've got to have stickies up on the wall. Uh, Chris, Chris is kind of sticking on us here. Okay. Good, Chris. I'm sorry. You, you kind of hung on us. We got stickies on the wall. Yeah, so I was saying, like, in the past, people would say you have to have everyone in the same room, stickies on the wall, and that's the only way you can do Agile and DevOps. And I think one thing that has been good with COVID is that it has dissuaded us of that illusion that that is the only way to do things because we have been forced to do it differently. That being said, it is so much harder to create culture, whether it's in-house or whether it's, you know, outsourced, when you don't have that face-to-face -face collaboration. Um, there's only so many times people can do a virtual happy hour and still really get into it. 
So you have to be creative. Uh, yeah, I'm sure everyone's had that the first time. Everyone's like, man, we're having five happy hours a week. I've got my bottle right next to me. Um, and then you, you, you're two months in and you're saying, geez, I cannot do this anymore, right? I just want to go to bed or watch um, Sopranos, right? Um, <laughs> but I think that we really need to focus on that, building that culture and come up with creative ways to create connections between people. Yeah. Agreed. Ming? Well, let me see. Hold on. Give me a sec. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you go to your happy hour background? Absolutely. So, this, so what you're just seeing here is the, um, I, my family and I, we took a hike uh, recently to a Malibu uh, beach. And this is a, I took a 30 seconds video of the Malibu, right? And um, use that as my background. So this is one of the things that I started asking my team to do, trying to personalize this kind of virtual experience, right? Um, I, I absolutely, I mean, I'm a absolute people person. So I, I miss the in-person, you know, um, bonding uh, dearly. <laughs> uh, but in lieu of that, um, we, we basically, every time we have team meetings or with our customers or with our own team, uh, we pretty much strongly encourage everyone to get on the video. And so at least we can see each other. Right. Um, so, but uh, you know, to Chris's point, um, there's always silver lining to everything because this certainly this, uh, you know, um, the COVID certainly forced or speed up a lot of things that's what's going to happen anyways. Um, so to that, uh, I think it's, it's a, it's a positive thing. Ravina, I'd love to hear your thoughts. <laughs> sure. Um, what a year we're all having, huh? Surprise. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, in terms of working with your partners through COVID, um, and we've been talking a lot about culture, I think one of the foundation things is to pick a company or a partner that has a very similar culture to you, right? Um, so then you're not trying to find middle ground in that, and that should really be a big part of your selection process. You need to be comfortable with the folks that you work with, and you need to be living kind of to the same standards, I think. Um, so for me, how COVID affected me was while we were all scrambling to get ourselves home um, and, you know, reaping the benefits of a long-term plan to be able to have a remote workforce. We learned that through Sandy um, a long time ago when we had done a lot of changes. I was also working really closely with Cognizant and getting my, and helping to get all the resources that they needed to get my folks off at home at offshore, right? Um, so I was as concerned about offshore as I was concerned about onshore. Um, and now to this day, um, my job is actually pretty high touch now. And the reason being that um, we're so far along, I have people that are really overworking themselves. Um, and I think that, you know, I don't know that it's deadlines as it is, um, you know, take pride in craftsmanship in their home and they want to, you know, this is something for them to do. Or it's a stress release and a really challenging time where everything's unpredictable. But I spend more of my time saying, you know, when was the last time you took a day off? Um, when was the last time you took an afternoon off, right? Um, you need to recharge, you need to gather yourself, and that's for offshore too. So that's been my challenge this year. Yeah. Fair. Mitchell, I know you you guys at Accelerated Strategies Group did a study on, on the whole remote thing and COVID thoughts. Yeah, we, I, boy, I could talk for an hour on this, but I just, I'll just point out a couple things and I'll fo point folks to the report. We looked at... Software developers already know how to work remotely, right? A lot, many do. And so how has that affected them? How has COVID and the, the work from home affected them and how have they kind of affected the organization? So interestingly enough, uh, across the board, there's about 350 participants. Across the board, everyone is above 60% of who have, who have accelerated digital transformation projects, contact with new forms of delivery, 
and and automation. But what I really found interesting was that how influential DevOps practices, where you whether you called it DevOps or not, had had uh, start to infiltrate into the organization. So I'm talking about you know things like doing daily stand-up meetings or cross more cross-functional teams, increased use of that, uh, asynchronous communications like a Slack or a team as opposed yes. to being on a phone call or in a meeting. So there, there's all these ways of working that, that you know, was, as, as we were talking before, sort of forced everybody into it. And the mm-hmm. teams that had really good software work, teams working remotely jumped on board and we saw an increase in the use of that kind of style of work, sometimes facilitated by tools, sometimes just process. Mm-hmm. So um, <clears throat> you want to read the whole report and it's reading is minimal. It's all infographics. So it's really super easy to consume. Uh, go to accelst.com and it's free to download and enjoy. And let me know if you have questions, love to talk to you about it. Awesome. Excellent. Guys, we are, we are out of time. We're actually over time. Um, Robina, Ming, Chris, I want to thank you, all of you, for, for joining with us today. This was a great discussion. In the show notes, production notes, we will have links to your websites and any other links you want to put in there. But, you know, all three of you are, are dealing in the real world with real problems that we're seeing today. And, and, and helping organizations solve them, right? Whether it's your own organization or other organizations. So keep up the great work. We may, you know, we may revisit this topic on DevOps Unbound someday, and we'd love to have you back on here. Okay? Pleasure. Thank awesome. you so much. Thanks. All right, you, Romina, you're in. It's nice, nice to meet you guys. Good luck. Okay. Thank you. All right. Mitch, thanks as always, man. This is Alan Schimmel for DevOps Unbound. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you on another DevOps Unbound real soon. Mm